0: Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and we're here in our post-Oscars hangover period. Uh, I've got our digital director, Mike Hogan. Hey, Katie. Our film critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. And we don't have Joanna Robinson with us today. She's off at South by Southwest, but joining us instead, we have our Hollywood correspondent, Nicole Sperling. Hi, Nicole. Hi, guys. Nicole, hopefully we're not wearing you out too much by making you do much of anything after the Oscars since you were actually there on the ground in the Dolby Theater and uh, aren't too sick of talking about the Oscars yet to catch us up on what you saw.
1: No, I'm happy to be here. Thanks. So, yeah, you were there on
0: the ground. You were walking the red carpet for a while. You were I understood you were going to hang out at the bar to get as uh, many tidbits as you could. Uh, Just overall, from having been in the room for this year's Oscars, how was it as a show?
1: Well, it felt kind of subdued. I mean, I think after last year, it's kind of a hard act to follow in terms of all the chaos that ended last year's show. People are excited, as usual, because they're at the Oscars, and there were lovely little snack packs under everyone's seat, so everyone had a snack with a note from Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah,
0: that was new, right? I saw those on Twitter a lot, and that seemed like a new addition.
1: That was new. I mean, in years past, last year he handed out food, and the year prior, there were other people who've tossed out food. Ellen DeGeneres had thrown around food. Remember the pizza delivery guy from a couple years ago? So we've had food as part of the show, but um, this time they kind of didn't make it part of the act but just gave everybody food.
2: What's up with the food thing? Are they just torturing people who haven't eaten for weeks? Is that the is that part of the joke?
1: <laughs> I don't understand the food thing actually because while they have upgraded their bar and it is now a fully Um, loaded bar that anyone can get any drink they want. The snacks that are in the lobby are very paltry. It's like little bags of popcorn. There's some trail mix. There are little packages of cookies floating around, but it's kind of weak. Like You'd expect something a little bit higher end at the Oscars, and it's really not. Was this because nobody would eat anyway because they're afraid of either
0: getting food on their dress or popping out of it before the show's over?
1: I think at this point, they're so used to not eating that maybe they'd give in. But I don't know. I don't know what drives that decision making. <laughs> so Jimmy Kimmel's coming back for a second time. I think a lot of people felt like they knew uh,
0: what we were getting with him. And luckily for him and everyone, it went more smoothly. Did you get a sense of how people were responding to his performance, like especially in the opening monologue, but in general as a host?
1: In the room, the, his monologue seemed to play really well. People loved the jet ski bit. That, I think, really went... <laughs> a long distance. Um, outside in the lobby, I talked to Judd Apatow about it afterwards, and he was out there with Leslie Mann for like the duration, it seemed, of the show. He just wanted to get in to watch his um, original screenplay category for The Big Sick because he was a producer on the film. But he had told me that he actually has an annual call now with Jimmy and that he went over the monologue with him. And he thought Jimmy himself would be really happy with how the monologue went because he thought it killed. So that was his perception of the night. I mean, in the room it seemed to play better than it did on TV or for people watching outside.
3: Is that what you guys thought? I mean, I think it played well. I think it, you know, something that I wrote about was that, like, I think he had to be a little bit, you know, there was some serious stuff happening surrounding all this, so I, I don't think he could go, like, full 100%, you know, like, comedy, you know, but I think it worked out, and a bit that I'm curious about is when he, you know, brought all the actors out of the audience and across the street to the theater, and I guess you were seeing that on a screen, How organic did it feel uh, you know, in terms of who volunteered, you know, what did, did that appear to you to be all planned out or was it spontaneous?
1: Richard, I have absolutely no idea. It was in the lobby during that segment. I just oh, saw okay. a group of stars coming through and rushing back into the theater. So I missed the whole thing. I was like, why is Gal Gadot with Guillermo right now? I don't understand. Did you think there was like a fire drill or something like you should get on out of there? Yeah, it felt felt very strange. And all of us in the lobby who really it was a lot of people in the lobby who are not watching the show. That's what is so interesting to understand. It's kind of full where I like had no idea what was happening at that point. And you can't hear the show either because you're standing out there. And it is kind of amazing how many people go to the Oscars to like drink at the bar.
2: And and I have a question, Nicole, where does where do people smoke? Because we know that smoking is very important in Hollywood, let's face it.
1: There is a smoker's lounge like outside the front doors and it's kind of hidden there. It wasn't as obvious this time as it has been in years past.
2: Because at the Globes, there's a very, very convenient, large smoking area. I was, I was well, surprised. Well, it's foreign press, Mike. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> that it's Galois a, only. That is a good point. No, I think
1: at the Globes, it's like the highlight of the event.
2: Not as much at the yeah, awards. Basically, the point is to go and smoke.
0: Are there awards that everyone rushes back inside from the bar to make sure they see? Like, I got the sense watching that everyone was kind of on their feet for Jordan Peele to win screenplay. That seemed like something that might draw people in. Or is the bar just crowded the whole night?
1: No, it does definitely um, empty out. And what was my favorite part was when Jordan Peele won his Oscar, the whole the whole people left in the bar went crazy. And it was actually the only time I heard an audible big applause for any award. But at that moment, the, the televisions are above kind of the ramp where people can come out of the theater. And at that moment that he won, Jennifer Lawrence walked down the ramp, and everyone started applauding for Jordan Peele, but she thought they were applauding for her. (laughs) So she lifted both arms up like, yeah, and I'm like, nope, not for you. (laughs) It was pretty amazing. (laughs)
0: I think you had been one of the people in L.A. who was kind of passing along to us that you had a sense that Get Out was really swelling, that there was a lot of affection for it. When that happened, did you think what I thought, like, oh, my God, this might win Best Picture?
1: I really did. I thought it was going to win Best Picture all, all night. I was really hoping that that was going to be the case. But alas.
0: What is it you think that um, that kind of created that grounds? I mean, obviously, he won screenplay. Like, I don't think anyone from Get Out is unhappy with how it went. But what what sparked all of that, do you think?
1: Well, I think honestly is people get bored. The season is so long and it felt even longer this year. It was longer because of the Olympics. So I think everyone's tired of talking about the same movies and they want something exciting to happen. I mean, let's be honest. There was not a surprising category winner throughout the entire show. So the idea that... Not
2: not so. Not so. VFX was very surprising. <laughs> That's literally like the only surprise there was. <laughs>
1: and and how many people cared like maybe I know, the I know. vfx community for sure but it, it i was... had
2: like six six um or seven categories wrong but they were all ones where i was like i well i know this one's gonna win but like wouldn't it be better if the other one won and in all cases like no the one that you knew was gonna win that you didn't want to win one it was really just that kind of night
1: yeah that's how i lose every oscar
2: poll everyone <laughs> But what about when Shape of Water won? How, what was the mood like? What would what were people? What was the chatter?
1: Honestly, where I was sitting, half the people like got up and ran out of the theater before they even heard Guillermo's speech. I mean, others were thrilled, and I think his speeches were great. And I and it is kind of funny how that became this like ho hum choice. But really, if we think about it, like that's really not a likely Best Picture winner in so many ways. And the fact that it did win does say something about. Hollywood taking you know embracing something that's unconventional, even though the filmmaking is pretty conventional. I mean, it is an unconventional story, so I don't know. I think people were happy, but it was also kind of like, okay, we're done, let's move on. I mean, I think they just wanted to go to the governor's ball at that point.
0: Yeah, when you say everyone runs out of the theater, they all just
1: like running to get in the limo line. No, I literally think they were they like the whole section I was in just just emptied out, and they all I'm guessing they all got in line to go walk up to the governor's ball. I think. They were hungry.
2: Yeah, they needed a drink. The
1: snack pack was not cutting it. So Mike and Nicole, you guys both were eventually at the Vanity Fair
0: party. And Mike, we talked to you some on Monday about uh, what you saw at the party. But for both of you, like, what was the vibe when everyone was kindly said and done with it? Is everyone just exhausted? What kind of celebrations were you seeing?
1: It was really interesting. We got to see Martin McDonough and Jordan Peele have this kind of meeting of the minds. We think it was. I'm just we just kept. Wondering what was being said between the two of them, and really, I was so curious what Jordan Peele's inner monologue was the whole time he was talking to Martin McDonough. Like, did he think three billboards was problematic? I was just so curious on how that in exchange went, but everyone seemed pretty ebullient at that point.
2: I think that it's the last giant blast of adrenaline, and everybody is having a really good time. Uh, I think I probably told you, although I was sort of delirious when we recorded the last episode, that I, I found myself in the corner where Ben Mendelsohn and Gary Oldman and Gary Oldman's family were hanging out, and and that was a lot of fun. And I got to see like Lin Manuel Miranda hanging out with you know Monica Lewinsky and some other people. It was just like there was just like the usual crazy combinations of people, um, and uh, everybody was having a really good time. They were having a party. They were eating. They finally had some calories in them. They were drinking. Uh, alcohol and, and, you know, enjoying the fact that this finally was over. The forced march uh, had come to an end for another six months. Right.
1: And Francis McDormitt was running around with a bucket of chicken. So, I mean, how could it yes. get any better than that?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, right. It was just, I, I think that in a weird way, the party to me became. The main event of the night, just because the awards were so sort of anticlimactic, despite the... Uh, people people seem to think that the production was really nice. Spike Lee told us that was the best produced Oscars ever. Like, he loved, the, I guess, maybe the Swarovski crystals, oh, yeah. where he was a fan. Wait, and I know you were such a big fan, I, Richard. Yeah.
3: Um, Nicole, how did that set, got crazy set, which I thought was horrible, look in person? Was it, was it dazzling? Was it kind of... W- w- what was the impression, you know, to be near it?
1: It was pretty dazzling. And then I don't know how it played on television, but when Emma Stone came out for director and she walked through that, like, bunch of circles that were lit up, that was kind That was I saw them put that together on stage just for the one award, and I thought maybe she was going to walk through some fire and it was really going to get exciting. But it was just light bulbs, unfortunately. But did that play on TV? It seemed like a whole lot of effort for not a lot of result
0: i do remember it but i don't think that i knew if it was constructed or if it was just like a projected backdrop like that one beauty and the beast kind of set that they had for a while that looked like it was mostly painted
1: Mm, right that i think was mostly painted that one kind of looked strange from the from being in the in the chair like it didn't look that dramatic
0: How do all the montages play in the room? Because when I'm watching at home and they go into like this lengthy thing of all the previous best actor winners, I get kind of excited, but I'm wondering if this room full of people who are ready for a drink or get really restless.
1: I think it kind of depends on your purview of the screens because they're not, you know, you kind of have to look to find them in some regard. Um, The In Memoriams played really well because you had Eddie Vedder singing and he was great live.
3: Um, That was kind of awesome.
0: Yeah, I remember. Uh, I think Richard, you were talking about how you never expected Eddie Vedder to be uh, the person who was moving you while performing at the Oscars. And there,
3: there he was in 2018. Who, <laughs> who, who could have guessed? Um, Nicole, from from the bigger awards that you were in the room for, um, you know, I always try to like try to pay attention to like who gets applause when they're you know when they announce the nominations. Who seemed to be a crowd favorite in the room?
1: Oh, Guillermo was definitely a huge crowd favorite, um, and you know. Alice and Janie was, too, even though I think there was some a little bit of sadness that Lady Bird just went home empty-handed. And, you know, I guess they're—I don't know. She was definitely the favorite the whole way through. But I think there was some hope that Laurie Metcalf could somehow pull that off. I mean, they kind of had a rough night. I I caught— Greta Gerwig almost missed the category for supporting, and she went running in like in a panic that she was going to miss. So I think she was hoping Lori was going to pull it out. And then um, I saw Lori at the bar after she had lost, and she was so over it. Like, she's such an introvert, and this whole publicity thing is so not her style. And she was very clear that this had not been fun at all, and she was really Mm. done.
0: Do you think that for the for the more extroverts, it is fun at that point? Like, is are there people for whom who kind of thrive off of this and then people who don't?
1: Well, Jennifer Lawrence seemed to be having a grand old time and she had no stakes. So she, yeah, she wasn't nominated. That's how you have fun. That is how you have fun. She was not nominated. She was out drinking. She was in, <laughs> you know, towering over Jodie Foster. I mean, she seemed to be having a fantastic time. Um. I think some people like the ride because they get to meet lots of different people and it's thrilling in that regard. I mean, Kumail Nanjiani seem to have a fantastic time the whole way through. I just think it becomes such a drag and for Lori, someone like Lori Metcalf who's always working and had left New York the night before after doing two shows and then had to come to lose and then had to go back to, t- to more, she was just like, please leave me alone.
2: My friend, uh, my friend Chris Rosen at EW, yeah. told me that um, Timothy Chalamet was treated like the literal pope uh, in the room. Is that was that your experience as well?
1: <laughs> I mean, I think people have really <laughs> fallen in love with Timothy Chalamet. It'll be interesting to see where this guy's career goes from here, but I can't imagine that we. It'll be very long before we see him back there on that stage.
2: Well, they're, they have plans. He's
1: He's got like an addiction drama
0: coming out this year, I think. Uh, Richard, I feel like you've been paying attention. Anyways, he's going to be in the Oscar race very, Beautiful very boy. soon, it seems.
2: Get ready. Beautiful Get boy, ready. for
1: sure. Yeah, you'll see him there we go. up on that stage. I mean, that was Rebecca Keegan, our colleague's interesting observation, is usually it's the female ingenue that gets the... Best Actress Prize. And so she thought maybe because it was Fran McDormand's to lose that maybe it would, the voters would go for Shalomé as kind of the male ingenue this year. But alas, it didn't happen. Nope. Nope. No surprise there. Again.
2: That dynamic's just going to stay that way forever. Yeah. Well, somebody was saying the youngest uh, award winner ever was uh, was Adrian Brody, right? It was 29.
1: Yeah. It's the youngest Best Actor winner. Yeah.
2: For, for Best Actor. Yeah. Yeah.
1: They don't like giving it to the young men for some reason, but young women, no problem.
2: That's right. right. I wonder what could possibly underlie this dynamic.
1: It's fascinating. The younger, the better, as they say in Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) Nicole, you were out on the red carpet at some points, too, right? Kind of keeping an eye on how uh, particularly the Ryan Seacrest of it all was going. Well, I was trying to keep an eye on the Ryan Seacrest, but that was happening at the first half of the a red carpet and i didn't have the proper credential for that and even Mm. with trying to sneak behind two stanchions i failed and was kept kind of with the civilians and walking like on the civilian part of the carpet i was i did find um tarana burke saw met up with kelly ripa at one point and i thought that could have been interesting but i i was too far away to see how that went down
2: wow
0: It feels kind of like the red carpet survived by the skin of its teeth this season. Like, it was a fraught award season for everyone, but in the end, you know, Hollywood couldn't clap itself on the back for celebrating the shape of water but the red carpet like really struggled to stay relevant and then the Ryan Seacrest thing happened like do you, do you have any sense from either the
1: publicists or the stars to do it like how how they move on from this? Well a lot of them skipped it this year and a lot of Jordan Peele skipped it Sam Rockwell skipped it and they just were um, escorted very quickly they took some photos and then they were escorted right into the um, show and the publicists were kind of I talked to a few of them who said I just don't see the value in this anymore they're nervous right now Right now, this is not going to help quell their nerves at all. We're just going to get them into the show. And also, you know, it's thorny out there. So I don't know how it's going to proceed. I mean, I think, you know, there is that light, frothy red carpet that people like, but... Is this something we need? Is this a progressive part of our society to show more and more red carpet? I mean, maybe we can do better.
2: I don't know how it will work. I thought watching some of it, I didn't watch that much of it because I was running around, but that um, you could really see E struggling to deal with this kind of new world where if they're not just going to be talking about your outfits and your beauty regimen and how your body looks and basically, you know, be objectifying you, um, they really didn't know what else to talk about. And when they tried to talk about the movies, it was clear that they didn't really have that much depth of understanding of it. Um, And the whole thing just felt, yeah, it felt like it was a, a dying enterprise a little bit, certainly watching the E1. Uh, I I think and and I only saw the E one and I think that that ABC was a big difference and I want to (laughs) also point out that our colleague Krista Smith knows everything about all these movies and was on that carpet but for E it seemed like they were having having a rough time
0: yeah I thought that was noteworthy that Krista got so many of the good interviews I think probably because people knew that she would be able to talk about the movies and Mike at our party you were on the red carpet let's not forget you are on the vanguard of red carpet reporting and you kind of did the same thing like it feels like the whole like hashtag ask her more idea has expanded to everyone who walks the red carpet who doesn't want to put their fingers in the manicam
2: yeah i think dave carger is another person who obviously follows all this stuff really carefully and you know it's not like you're having heavy cinema conversations but you can at least talk a little bit about the movie the season the awards race and not just literally be like at a loss for words if you're not allowed to talk about like how did you get your skin to look so shiny um so I think that maybe hopefully that that points a way forward for this to be entertaining without being sort of like something that ultimately maybe makes makes women and girls feel like they no one cares what they think or how they feel about stuff.
1: What was your favorite red carpet interview, Mike, that you did?
2: Um, it was probably Kyle McLaughlin Just because I'm a like a huge dork And uh, I'm such a Twin Peaks fan
0: He seems so happy to be there That was what was great about Kyle McLaughlin Like he was as happy to meet you as you were happy to meet him
2: Always happy to be there I mean he's also a good actor let's face it um, But uh, Halle Berry also That was super cool and she was I mean may I objectify for one minute I can't believe how gorgeous Halle Berry is It's like standing and looking at the sun um, But uh, But She also was really cool and and, and we talked about her, you know, the night that she won when she said it's just a blur, but that but that this night is is an opportunity every year when she comes out to, to meet all kinds of great people. And I mean, that was I think maybe we talked about it last week. Again, I can't really remember what we talked about, but um, it's always fun to be reminded that for the celebrities themselves, uh, the talent, as it were, um, you know, they're. This is not normal for them either. Like they don't usually go out in a room with uh, 500 other people who do what they do and, and, and a lot of whom they look up to and admire and worship or or vice versa. So um, so that was fun. We had a great conversation.
1: Yeah, that's what's been the interesting thing about Me Too and Time's Up is that finally these actresses who never get to see each other because they're never on the same screen as each other have been able to spend all this time together. And I think that's going to change things as we go forward. At least maybe. Yeah. I like
2: that idea.
0: Nicole, I was going to ask you what happens after the Oscars, but I think the Time's Up question maybe is even more interesting. Like, we've gotten through this award season. It's fraught at various points. Does everyone take a break now? And then do you think this activism continues? Do people get back to work in the same way?
1: Well, I actually went to a Time's Up um, briefing that they did for about 10 journalists on the Thursday before the Oscars, which great timing, guys. But um, we all sat around a table with like Shonda Rhimes and Ava DuVernay and Laura Dern and Tessa Thompson. I mean, it was quite impressive. And they kind of broke down what's been going on with Time's Up and what they've been doing. And they were very clear because they've been given so – they were – they had been asked over and over, like, what's going to happen at the Oscars? What's going to happen? And really, it wasn't a big, like, activation, as they like to put it, at that night. But they were—they kind of went into all the things they're doing and how the uh, legal fund has raised $21 million, and they've received, like, 1,700 inquiries, and they've matched up, like, 1,250 um, com- people, women who are complaining with um, lawyers who can— um, talk to them and see if they have any cases to file so they don't seem to be slowing down at all they seem to in fact be um, really energized by what's happened and they have all these working groups that have broken out and they're really trying to make the activism a real thing and so I don't think they're going to slow down I think it's just going to keep going.
0: It feels like the question that we kept asking ourselves last fall when these revelations kept coming out is like, is this really going to change this time? And it feels like now it's indisputable that like whatever it actually manifests itself as, something huge has changed for the industry.
1: Well, the fact that Frances McDormand ended her speech with inclusion writer, and then we all had to go figure out what that is and how that is actually a thing. And it's a thing that apparently, I talked to Dee Reese at the governor's ball, and she said that She's been doing it since she's been working her first movie, Pariah, and she said that Black filmmakers and Black actors do it all the time. Denzel's known for demanding a certain number of um, African-Americans on his film sets, and he's been doing that for a while. And so it's the women who are kind of unaware to that being a possibility, and Meryl said that to me too, that she just didn't know that was something she could demand, that she could demand that on her publicity for a movie that the half the journalists be women or or people of color that she didn't know that she could demand that and so that in and of itself is going to change things too
0: i had no idea that it was about journalists too i guess we all have to start (laughs) figuring out what an inclusion writer is yep i think so who do you feel like nicole at the end of this has had their career change the most or boosted like who's walking out of this award season the most on top do you think
1: Oh, I think it's Jordan Peele and Greta Gerwig. Even though Greta didn't go home with any awards for Lady Bird, I mean, that filmmaking and that movie, I think, is, stands the test of time. And I'm so excited for what she d- does next. And the same with Jordan Peele. I mean, we all knew him as the half of the comedy duo, Key and Peele. And now he is a force. And he has so many projects going. And I think those two are really going to change the game. What do you think, Richard?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think not not to, uh, you know point always point it back to vf but you know we had our they were on they were both on the cover of our first special issue this year for the oscars um that went out to voters and uh, you know jordan and greta and i i agree i think that they were so much more talked about than uh any of the actors um and were this year and and so the, yeah they were really kind of leading the the narrative um but past that um i would say that well while they were not winners um, I would say that because they got a nomination uh, for the second year in a row, and they won last year, I think that that Pasek and Paul songwriting duo, who wrote the song from Greatest Showman, they're going to be what the new Diane Warren. Like, they're just <laughs> well, be... Diane
0: Warren still has never won.
3: That's true. That's true. Which is horrifying. But um, but I just feel like anytime there's some sort of uplifting musically song or a mu- musical movie that needs to be done, they're they're the go tos. They're 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 solidified now.
0: I think the news broke after the Oscars too that they're doing songs for the new Aladdin, so they're gonna they're edging in on the Lopez's territory. They've had the Disney uh, monopoly going for a while.
3: That's true. Do you get the post Oscar blues? Like, do you get do you get like any sort of like anticlimactic feeling uh, like that Monday or Tuesday? Because this was something that I was experiencing on Monday.
1: Uh, I gotta tell you, no. I have to say, the greatest <laughs> feeling I had was being at that Vanity Fair party, and we had done all of the reporting, and I had a drink in one hand and an In-N-Out cheeseburger in the other, and I have never experienced such bliss.
3: <laughs> Maybe that was the immediate cure for the blues. You staved off the blues. That was your that was your emergency, you know, uh, thing to, to not to not get it. Which totally, is, which is good.
0: Totally. <laughs> Well, thank you again so much, Nicole. We will have you on again soon uh, to talk about something other than the Oscars. All right. Who knows? Sounds
1: good. Or maybe next year's early predictions. I <laughs>
0: So, Richard, this will be at least the last official episode we have devoted to this award season. We're going to start moving on to things like the Emmys and to predicting next year's Oscars and maybe talking about other movies that have nothing to do with awards for the time being. Um, So I just kind of want to use this time with the two of us to, I don't know, what did we learn from this award season? Did we just learn that we barely survived and we should stop employing harassers?
3: I I saw hopefully a couple things that were representative of maybe some some coming change you know i think that jordan peele's success and greta gerwig's success those are encouraging i hope they're not just kind of you know anomalous events that and then next year we're back to the same old patterns but i don't think so because i think that something that while it wasn't perfect what this oscars broadcast did and and you know some of the winners too was that there was this kind of mutual this this kind of shared collective recognition that like we can't do the same thing we've been doing, you know, we can't, we can't talk about things in the same way, or we have to start talking about things we haven't been talking about. And I don't really see that momentum slowing, like, I don't feel like this is just going to be kind of the rise and fall of a a trend or a fad. I just think that be given the kind of political climate we're steeped in beyond Hollywood, that that kind of complacency and, you know, regression to the status quo I just don't see that happening. And I think that like some some footholds in terms of progress were were placed throughout the season while other, you know, not so great things happen, too. But uh, I'm ending everything feeling kind of encouraged. I don't know about you.
0: So you're talking about complacency in terms of like what is and isn't an Oscar movie or who is and isn't a person who can make a prestige movie?
3: Yeah. Yeah. And I, and the, this, you know, that we, we can't be complacent about gender imbalance and and harassment and all that stuff. And, and the way that that affects not just people's experience working in the industry, but how it affects filmmaking and and films. And I don't know, I just feel like there was, even if the movies weren't exactly wholly representative of that new sentiment, I think that the way that the whole season kind of played out and, and, and even just the the particular ceremony played out, I just felt like, I don't know, there was sort of a new awareness that had dawned and I don't, I hope that doesn't go away. I don't, and I don't feel like it will.
0: I'm liking looking at just kind of you know, looking at the nominees now that are part of the historical record. I'm always on the Wikipedia pages for Oscar years just to remember anything. And I like the range that we have of something from Get Out. And then you have a summer blockbuster in Dunkirk. And then you've got kind of like fall festival movies. Like there's this nice spread of all of it, which I think every year we're like, oh, well, all the Oscar movies start in September. And every year kind of learn to eat our words about that. And, you know, The Shape of Water was exactly that. It played at the three major, you know, Labor Day weekend festivals and went on to win Best picture but the the range in it you know i think the expanded best picture category every year kind of becomes more and more what it was intended to be i think it took a while for it to take shape but i really like the variety that we're managing managing to get both in terms of um, diversity in terms of who made them and what the movies are about
3: yeah yeah exactly
0: can I say something that I think is like a cautionary tale from this year? And, yes, you know, it's not, I'm yeah. far from a film distributor, but I think that Call Me By Your Name, and especially its yes. box office performance, is something to learn from. Like, we've been watching, I don't know if it's exactly the lowest, lowest grossing of the Best Picture nominees, but it's at least pretty close. Uh, and it was distributed by Sony Pictures Classics, and it you kind know, of spent a year since its Sundance release being talked about, and it's, uh, it's really underperformed. And I feel like you and I have maybe talked about this, too, that, like, that's how you used to release a prestige movie, and the, that's not how you do it anymore.
3: And SPC is kind of known for doing this well, which is weird. And, and they just kind of bungled this. And I think that, you know, something that I, I mean, this is all anecdotal and, and not representative of most of the country, certainly, or the world. But, you know, the appetite for calling By Your Name, like on gay Twitter, let's say, was pretty, pretty avid. And yet, at a certain point, I noticed a turn where a lot of people who don't live in the two major biggest markets in the country, being here in New York and in Los Angeles they got kind of sick of it because they were like I can't see this movie until middle of January and you've and, been
0: making peach jokes on Twitter since last yeah. March and I yeah. think it
3: kind of turned people against it in a way like or, or some people kind of already felt like they'd seen it and so like when it was actually out everyone was just kind of sick of it so I think yeah I think you're right that like that was definitely a cautionary tale
0: and like it was nominated for best picture it won the screenplay like you know the, we're not talking about any failures here but what I think what gets us so enthusiastic about all of this is that we get to talk about these movies for so long and it Becomes comes really hard when there's something like this that there's so much enthusiasm for that's just basically absent for most of the country
3: a couple months ago I talked about trying to I think for a New Year's resolution trying to sort of exist outside the bubble of, of you know sort of inward facing <laughs> Twitter culture yeah. f- film culture it's hard to do but I think that like the calling by your name situation is a good example of that I think you know and w- which is why it made you know so exciting when something like Get Out um, or even Dunkirk or you know is is sort of in this conversation because like at the very least we we're, we're probably it's more likely that that people the public the hoi polloi <laughs> have actually seen the thing which it makes the conversation a little bit more fun I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, so speaking of Dunkirk and asking to make another bold prediction that's not really our lane is Christopher Nolan ever going to win an Oscar? Is was this his best chance and it's gone and like it just is official.
3: I mean, whoever knows, you know, directors have, can have much more long lasting careers than actors sometimes, but you know, you, you do sometimes get that feeling with, with one of these nominees who's, you know, either never been nominated and this is their one shot or been nominated a ton of times. And maybe this is their last shot where you can just kind of feel that moment. We were like, this was probably it, you know? Uh, And I kind of did with Nolan, even though he's a relatively young, he's a relatively young guy, but I just, what is his subject matter going to be? next that gets the same kind of awards he acclaim. granted we're, we're talking about how the kind of the notion of an awards movie has changed with shape of water winning you know which is pretty unorthodox all things considered you know but like i don't know i mean dunkirk was dunkirk like like that that subject matter you know was supposed to resonate with a certain type you know type of voter and and it did on some levels but like i just don't see him you know he, he's kind of a sci-fi bent like I don't know. I don't know what the next project would be that would give him the same level of acclaim and sort of awards attention.
0: I think maybe he needs to be an underdog again like that was the the position that the Dark Knight was in when it was the superhero movie that everyone wanted to nominate and Christopher Nolan has had massive success by all measures and Dunkirk is a World War II movie it is you know it is a traditional Oscar movie in this period as we said that they're trying to get away from that um so it might he might have to kind of make something weirder and he's definitely done that I mean Inception was also a weird Oscar movie um I don't know I feel I did not get the feeling that that was the last chance for him I was glad that he finally got his nomination but I I don't know I'll be really curious to see how he processes this and in, in terms of what he decides to do next not that oscar nominations determine everyone's careers
3: i, I don't think that he would ever do this because i mean Dun- dunkirk itself was not a terribly sentimental movie maybe a little bit there at the end but like i just hope that like he doesn't go chasing the oscar you know like and yeah. and, and, and that that affects the kind of stuff he makes like i hope that he stays true to sort of i mean his you know evolving maybe but like his 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 tone and his his vision you know um i think you can get into trouble when people start courting the oscar too too heavily you
0: know who i'm counting on uh to show up really soon who didn't mind making the cut is sean baker on the florida project i I think i feel like the next thing he does is gonna really land because that got so much attention uh didn't make the cut he's like the ultimate underdog status um just in terms of like who i'm really excited to see what they do next
3: but you do also in the same vein like i hope that he if if he wants to i mean obviously his style can evolve but like i hope that he maintains the sort of the scale and the proportion of of his you know his his movies which are, which are part of what makes them um so special i think
0: maybe i just keep throwing thought experiments at you but this is why i like it testing over the oscars of the actors who didn't win this year who do you think is going to win an oscar soonest
3: uh saoirse ronan
0: yeah like yeah. her next movie
3: yeah, I mean, you know, I was writing this piece for the website about like upcoming movies with women leads, and and, and *Mary Queen of Scots* uh, is coming out. Uh, li- yeah. we'll, we'll talk about this on our big preview episode, but like that's coming out uh, in the fall. It's from a, it's the first feature from a really lauded female theater director in, in England. It's her, it's her and Margaret Robbie. The script is by Bo Willimon, based on a book. Like that just feels prestige I don't know, you know, sometimes this that period stuff can fall a little flat as sort of too obvious awards bait but no if it's not that project like I just feel like Ronan is so beloved and makes interesting choices and has really not been bad in anything she's done
0: No, I was thinking about that, about how, like, every time she has made something, she has seemed so confident, like with all of her nominations, it's been like, oh, she could win for that because she just seems so possessed on screen. Uh, And it's not like she's overdue. She's 23. But I think you might be right. Although I would also keep an eye on Sally Hawkins, who also feels like she's kind of been like in the margins for a long time. Now she's in a Best Picture winner. There seems like a there could be some momentum building there, too.
3: Yeah, I mean, she's an interesting case because she, you know, she makes these kind of odd choices 15 years ago, maybe. And even though it's a tiny movie and tiny movies are actually getting more attention now. Uh, Sally Hopkins was also in a movie called Maudie uh, this past year, last year. Yeah, That in an older kind of Oscar era, I feel like would have been way up there as a top, you know. So like, so hmm. she's doing the work, you know, it might not always get the attention. Like, it's crazy that she wasn't nominated for Happy Go Lucky, but but it looks like she's kind of maybe on an upswing again uh which is exciting because she's she's great
0: yeah happy-go-lucky was another one of those like unfairly snubbed kind of to build a buzz for whatever happens next which she got nominated for blue jasmine a little bit uh after that uh, I'm also curious if Willem Dafoe ever wins an Oscar now. Like he, it seemed like he was gonna finally get it this year. And then the Sam Rockwell surge happened. Like it feels like he could go either way. Like he could get nominated for the next three things he does or like this was as close as it gets.
3: Well, yeah. Again, like that's someone where you're kind of like, ooh, that feels like that was maybe the last chance. But then yeah. again, you have Christopher Plummer at 88 nominated and Willem Dafoe is what in his early 60s. So, it, you know, <laughs> Christopher 50s, Plummer so. wasn't
0: even in that movie until November of last right. year. Yeah. <laughs> like two months before the nominations came out um all right so in the end do we think good award season bad award season are we i mean obviously we're we're a little tired of it but uh do we feel like hollywood acquitted itself pretty well
3: i think so i think the movies were interesting um there were a couple you know heartbreakers here and there but for the most part i'm happy with um the stuff that got recognized you know and i think that it's exciting when, when we don't know what's going to win Best Picture or really have any idea what's going to win Best Picture. I think it, it obviously it's a little bit consternating for people like us who have to make predictions and and doing all that kind of guesswork and then being proven right or wrong. But but yeah, I th- I, I mean, I had it was tiring toward the end, but I had fun.
0: Yeah, I think I, I need to look up the exact stat of it, but that's at least several years where the, you know, the Golden Globe winner and the SAG winner have not matched up with the Oscar Best Picture winner. Uh, you know, Moonlight came as a surprise in that way. Spotlight was battling that with The Revenant. So even though The Shape of Water, as we've discussed, was really in the hunt the whole time, it uh, it kind of snuck up at the end there. And I think the more variety we get in that, the more that these precursor awards don't just feel like this death march of the same winners over and over again, the the better that is for all of us. And God, the less bored we get.
3: Oh, yeah, exactly. And, that's, and that's, that's what it's really all about.
0: Yeah. Oh, us yeah. It's not all about being me. Bored. Yeah. yeah. And how much we like the sets on the Oscars. And uh, they should have given us some snacks, just like they got
3: in the Dolby Theater. <laughs> exactly.
0: Uh, So that does it for this week's Little Gold Men. We are not taking an off-season. We will be back next week and all of the weeks we're going to be talking about Emmys, we're going to be talking about the 2019 Oscars, talk about Ready Player One. Uh, There's a lot going on, so please stick with us. Uh, Thank you for making this such a fun award season for all of you listeners. and Thank you for tweeting at us. I know it sounds really uh, self-serving, but we really love hearing from you and especially about your Oscar pools. Um, so if you find us at Little Gold Men as well as on VanityFair.com. And we're all on Twitter on our own. I'll speak for Mike and Joanna. Mike's at Mike underscore Hogan. Joanna's at Joe Wrote This. I'm at Katie Rich. And Richard? I'm at Ryla's. This episode was edited and produced by Danielle Roth. And this week's award for the best description of why Mike Hogan had to leave this week's episode recording early goes to Nicole Sperling.
1: But he had told me that he actually has an annual call now with Jimmy.